Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. everyone and welcome back to food therapy this is Brittany recording a solo episode today without lauren i believe this is actually my first solo episode and i'm so excited to have the opportunity to chat with you all directly so in case you didn't know this week is actually eating disorder awareness week which is an annual campaign to educate the public about eating disorders in order to provide hope, support, and visibility to those affected. So today, I'm going to be talking all about eating disorders, giving you a quick overview of what eating disorders are, you know, what are some of the categories, how we can help someone heal from an eating disorder. And I'm going to finish off actually answering some questions that a few of you who follow me at No Food Fears asked, and some of them are really great. So I cannot wait to dive in. So eating disorders affect 30 million people in their lifetime. And something that's also important to know is that the funding for research is really low. There is still so much we don't know. And oftentimes the people that get left behind within this evidence-based research are those in marginalized identities. So when I'm talking about eating disorders, there are a few different categories that I'm going to briefly touch on. I could have an entire series on eating disorders, so I'm going to be super brief with each of these descriptions, but I want to give you a slight overview on what to expect. So first we have anorexia nervosa, and when somebody thinks about someone who has an eating disorder, oftentimes there is this image of an affluent, white, blonde, really underweight person, and that is not the face of eating disorders. So we're going to talk about what is the face of eating disorders. But going back to anorexia, anorexia is restriction of energy intake relative to requirements leading to a significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, developmental trajectory, and physical health. When somebody has anorexia, they have an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. There is persistent behaviors that interfere with weight gain even though they might be at a significantly low weight. I do want to point out that although we have anorexia and one of the criteria is being in an underweight body, we also have atypical anorexia, which I'm going to get into a little later. The subtypes of anorexia is both the restricting type as well as the binge eating purging type. So now let's talk about bulimia nervosa. So bulimia is, again, recurrent episodes of binge eating and purging. So it's inappropriate compensatory behaviors in order to prevent weight gain, such as self-induced vomiting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, or other medications, fasting, or excessive exercise. So oftentimes with bulimia nervosa, we might see binge eating and inappropriate compensatory behaviors happening both um, at the same time, on average, at least once a week for three months. 
binge eating disorder, which is actually the most common eating disorder, and it also is a fairly new diagnosis, is recurrent episodes of binge eating. So what is binge eating? How can we characterize binge eating? Binge eating is characterized by both of the following. Eating in a discrete period of time, an amount of food that is larger than most people would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. But the the part that I truly resonate with binge eating is this sense of lack of control over eating during an eating episode. You feel like you cannot stop eating or control how much you're eating. And oftentimes there is a period of this marked distress that is happening. One of the questions I'm going to get to later is where to start when you are healing from binge eating disorder. The next eating disorder I'm going to tackle is OSFED, which is other specified feeding or eating disorders. So examples of OSFED could be atypical anorexia nervosa, which is when a patient has all the symptoms of anorexia, but they're not underweight. In fact, somebody with atypical anorexia can actually be in a higher weight body. And what happens is that they are not, you know, easily identified as having an eating disorder because again, when we think of the face of an eating disorder, especially anorexia, we think of somebody who is underweight. But somebody with atypical anorexia is somebody who has been historically in a larger body, but they're still obsessed with getting thin, dieting, excessive exercise. And this puts a lot of stress on the body. It is equally as dangerous as somebody with, you know, that typical anorexia nervosa. Some of the other categories under OSFED could be atypical bulimia nervosa, atypical binge eating disorder, purging disorder, night eating syndrome. So basically, if somebody has a lot of the components of an eating disorder, but they don't quite meet that criteria for that eating disorder, they can fall under OSFED. Lastly, I wanted to touch on ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So oftentimes with ARFID, somebody has eating or feeding disturbances resulting in persistent failure to meet appropriate nutritional energy needs. And it could result in weight loss, failure to grow, significant nutritional deficiencies. Oftentimes we see ARFID with some of the neurodivergent Um, like ADHD, autism. I'm not going to get too deep into this because I'm so excited that we actually have an ARFID dietitian coming on this podcast in two Sundays. So the next episode after this is going to be all about ARFID. Okay, deep breath. (laughs) So eating disorders are not just about food and body image, despite what people think. Eating disorders can actually serve many different functions. And I think this is such an important thing to know because an eating disorder, again, it's not just about food. It's not just about this fear of waking. So I'm going to go over some of the functions that an eating disorder may very well serve. Comfort, soothing, it could be numbing, it could be sedating, it could be distracting. It could be a cry for help, a way to get attention from loved ones. It could be a way to discharge tension, anger, and rebellion. It could provide somebody with predictability, structure. It could help somebody develop an identity. 
It could be a way of punishing oneself, punishing of the body. We know this can be true with somebody who's maybe had a history of sexual trauma. Self-cleansing, self-purification, protection or safety through the creation of being in a smaller body. And I'm going to touch on this later, but wanting to lose weight is not just about vanity. For many people, it is for protection. It is to help them to feel safe in our incredibly fat phobic weight stigmatizing society. It could be a way to avoid intimacy Again, um, you know, when somebody has a history of sexual trauma, I'm currently reading, oh my, what is it called? I never can know the, the names of the books that I'm reading. I believe it is called either Hunger or Hungry. I be- oh, it's Hunger um, by Roxane Gay. Incredible read. And I highly recommend, but in this book, Roxanne talks about her history of sexual trauma and how it led her to severely binge eat because she didn't want to be loved in her body. She did not want to, you know, get the male gaze. She didn't want to be noticed. And so her way of avoiding that attention was through food. Okay. So that is some of the reasons as to why an eating disorder may develop. There's also a genetic history. You know, if you live in a household where you started dieting at the age of six, seven, eight, that puts you at higher risk for an eating disorder. Oftentimes going on a really, you know, I'm going to get healthy kick diet can result in an eating disorder. So there are so many different factors when it comes to eating disorders, why somebody might develop an eating disorder and the severity of an eating disorder. Before I go further, you might be wondering, well, what if somebody has disordered eating? What is the difference? I always tell my clients, whether or not you meet the criteria for an eating disorder, if your life and your quality of life is significantly altered, it is enough to seek out help. So even if you don't meet the criteria for a certain eating disorder, if you feel like your life is more difficult, more challenging, you can't be with friends, you can't travel, you know, you're thinking about food all of the time, then it is time to get the support that you need. So as a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, some might call me nutrition therapist, it is my job to support clients physically, psychologically, emotionally. And one of the first steps we often take when somebody does have an eating disorder is to support nutritional adequacy. Something that's quite interesting, oftentimes people view anorexia as the restrictive eating disorder, when in fact, binge eating is also a restrictive eating disorder. Oftentimes somebody is restricting, which is them leading them to binge. And we're gonna get into that a little bit later. So my role is to one, support nutritional adequacy, It is also to help clients establish balance and flexible thinking about food and exercise and bodies. I, you know, spend so much time helping my clients find a more balanced way to relate to food in their body. I help clients to untangle emotions and food choices to separate out some of those beliefs, right? You are not bad if you chose the donut for breakfast. You just chose a donut. 
And so really trying to untangle the morality around food and creating a more balanced, neutral way of looking at food. Okay, so continuing on, somebody asked me and they said, okay, how does intuitive eating fall into eating disorder work? And this is such a great question. It depends on the eating disorder. It depends on the severity of the eating disorder. But oftentimes when somebody is struggling with an eating disorder, our first role is nutritional rehab, right? We want to re-nourish the body. We want to allow the body to be healed and to decrease the amount of eating disorder symptoms that are happening. So as a dietitian, you know, somebody might prescribe a more externalized nutrition plan to really help guide somebody how much to eat, how frequently to eat. And so it's much more structured. Think of this as the cast for a broken bone. You're not going to keep the cast on forever, but in order to allow the bone to heal, there has to be that structured piece. In the next phase of eating disorder recovery, you know, hopefully once the body has been, um, rehabilitated, you can start to notice and identify what is happening in the body. So we can start to pick up on certain signals, maybe certain hunger cues, fullness cues, and so forth. A lot of eating disorder patients hate to feel hunger, especially those who are dealing with um, anorexia nervosa. And so really normalizing hunger and encouraging them to respond to their body cues in a way that is helpful and meaningful. Finally, once somebody has been rehabilitated, once they start to get their hunger fullness cues back, we're introducing intuitive eating. So at this point, we're able to move away from eating plans that are more structured and help the client eat more intuitively. Now, I said that in about a minute and a half. But I want to be really clear that this work takes a lot of time. And depending on how long you have been dealing with your eating disorder, it can take a while to get to this place where you are able to incorporate intuitive eating. Eating disorder symptoms can absolutely change the brain chemistry in somebody with an eating disorder. This is one of the reasons why it can be so hard to change to help somebody recover and heal from an eating disorder because their brain chemistry has been altered. So some of these behaviors, some of these eating disorder behaviors have helped them to feel stable and grounded, even though they find themselves in this very harmful, problematic cycle. One little interesting factoid that, you know, my clients actually all find for the most part to be really interesting is that eating less than 45 grams of dietary fat is correlated with depression. So again, having a low intake of dietary fat can be associated with an increased risk for mental health problems, including depression. So what we eat, how much we eat can play a role. Restriction, you're restricting the brain, right? So we want to focus on re-nourishing the brain. Oftentimes with eating disorders, we're thinking about the rule of threes, three meals, three snacks, eating every three hours, incorporating more food, a variety of foods, and more fun food. 
With eating disorders, it is so important to make sure that you are getting that individualized support and help through a team. Um, it is not something that anybody should have to deal with on their own. And I would be remiss to not mention the fact that getting eating disorder support when you don't have the financial means can be a huge struggle. Fortunately, there are organizations such as Project Heal that are giving, you know, resources to those that need it most. Okay, so we're moving right along. I wanted to share some phrases that I've told clients that they've found to be helpful in the past. Something that one of my clients has really taken on and has been helping her to eat more and to help her to eat not perfectly is the following. Eating something is better than eating nothing. So if you were running around and the only thing that's available to you is a slice of pizza. You know, some people might think, oh, pizza, you know, it's not good for me. It's high calories. It's high fat. Eating that slice of pizza is so much better than eating nothing at all. And by the way, I love pizza. So I'm, I'm eating pizza regardless. I actually did a, a Brooklyn uh, pizza tour, which I'm going to put on to my TikTok and Instagram account. But the point is eating something is better than eating nothing. Another phrase, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. We live in a society that feels we have to eat perfectly all the time. The smoothies, the green juices, you know, the lean proteins, it doesn't have to be perfect. Another saying, shoot for about right. So what does this mean? Sometimes you're going to under eat. Sometimes you're going to overdo it. Can you shoot for just about right? We're not always going to get it right. I've been practicing intuitive eating for a number of years. Sometimes I'm like, whoops, I definitely overdid it. I feel very full and I'll learn. Don't beat myself up. Don't get upset. I don't feel guilty. Live and learn. But can we shoot for about right? Another saying, we're not robots, right? Our bodies do not require this exact precision. And in fact, our needs are going to change every single day, depending on what's going on with your hormones, your sleep, if you're about to get your period. Um, you know, when we are sleep deprived, our hunger hormones ghrelin increase, our satiety hormones leptin decrease. It is just fact. And when you're exhausted, you might notice that you are craving carbohydrates and fats, and that is to be expected. Aim for flexibility. Flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. Something that I practice with all of my clients, despite if they're coming to me with an eating disorder, disordered eating, or if they come to me because they just want to you know, engage in self-care when it comes to food. Maybe they have ADHD or anxiety and they just want to eat in a way that feels good for them. Flexibility is key. We are moving away from this rigidity and militant way of eating. And lastly, we don't have to be perfect eaters to be healthy humans. And we're meant to enjoy food. 
food is not just for nourishment. Yes, it is absolutely there to help fuel our bodies and give our bodies adequate nutrients, vitamins, and minerals. But it's also there to provide us with enjoyment and satisfaction. So I hope those sayings were helpful. Those phrases were helpful. Um, you might find some affirmations on my Instagram at no food fears. So definitely check that out. Okay. So the last piece of this that I'm going to get into, I actually put a question box on my Instagram account, no food fears. And I said, what do you want to know about eating disorders? So one of the first questions I received was where to start when you want to stop binging, where to stop when you want to stop binging. So again, if you remember what I said earlier in the episode, binge eating is often positioned, you know, as this loss of control, striving to get under control. When somebody binges or engage in binge eating behaviors, there can be so much shame and somebody might feel like there is something fundamentally wrong with how they're eating. But I want to remind you, eating disorders, including binge eating, which if you remember is the most, or I should say it is most common eating disorder. It is not about a lack of willpower. Eating disorders are mental health condition. I also want to validate that food is so powerful and soothing. It is such a soothing, calming mechanism. And as humans, we are always trying to do what we can in order to feel safe. For so many of my clients, safety has been found through food. So as a dietitian, you know, as somebody who's helping somebody on their journey, I don't want to take away the one thing that creates safety. Now, the goal is over time to kind of dig into this. And if you are eating solely for safety and emotional reasons, you know, working with a therapist in addition to your dietitian and expanding upon your safety tools. But if food right now is your biggest safety tool, it helps you to feel safe. I wouldn't want to take that away. And I want to remind you that there is so much wisdom in your coping. There is wisdom in your coping. And there can be so much safety found through food. So when we're looking at binge eating disorder, you know, oftentimes we're thinking, okay, so this person might be restricting and it might be intentional, might not be intentional. But if you are somebody who wakes up, forgets to have breakfast, forgets to have lunch, all of a sudden it's 4 p.m. and you're like, oh my goodness, I am so hungry you might find yourself eating a lot more than what feels comfortable for your body. So something I'm always looking at when somebody comes to me for binge eating is, are you eating enough? If this person is eating enough and it is more of that soothing part of binge eating, that's something else we definitely want to continue to explore in a very non-judgmental way. So what perpetuates eating disorder behaviors. I'm going to name a few. Of course, there is the dieting mentality, right? The I blew it. I already ate the sandwich and chips. I might as well continue to go. I might as well continue to have the cake and the cupcakes and the cookies. I've been there. 
I certainly have had the dieting mentality of the effort, right? Effort, I'm just going to keep going. It's almost like this invisible line. Once it's crossed, it's really difficult to claw back. You're just like, you're like, I'm in this, I'm doing it. Another thing that it perpetuates binge eating behaviors is restriction of food that you actually like. So there is mental restriction, there's physical restriction. Sometimes I have clients say, I don't get it, Brittany. Like I'm not restricting. I had the cookies and I ended up eating the entire box. But when we actually dug in a little bit more, my client figured out, oh, well, I still thought that I was doing something wrong. I still thought that cookies were bad. And so she still had that mental, emotional restriction, which is equally as powerful as that physical restriction. Another behavior that can perpetuate binge eating is disengagement from internal cues of satiety, So again, if you are really not in tune with your hunger and fullness cues, I find that when somebody eats way past comfort, they are likely entering the meal very hungry. It happens in both extremes. When somebody eats and feels like they can't stop eating, and not all the time, but a lot of times, that person is often going into the meal very hungry. And when you enter that meal starving, oh boy, is it hard to stop eating, even if you try really hard. Okay, so again, just to kind of finish off this question, we want to make sure that we are connecting with our bodies and nourishing and caring for ourselves. We want to make sure that our basic needs are being met. If we know that we're getting enough to eat during the day, We can go to the next part, which is like, okay, what are we seeking out? What are we looking for? You know, are we trying to find the sense of safety in food? And can we not judge ourselves for it? Can we actually go back to this idea that there's wisdom in your coping? And how brilliant is your body to know that it needs support? So when it comes to reducing or managing binge eating disorder. Again, we really want to reduce the amount of deprivation we're experiencing. We want to reduce restriction. We want to reduce this dieting, binge eating cycle and develop a healthier relationship with food where you're starting to connect to your internal hunger signals and fullness signals. Understand the role that emotions play, which is really when a therapist comes in handy. We want to make sure that we are fighting against this diet culture mentality. And this is where I can help you. Another dietitian can help you. Another nutrition therapist can help you. Okay, that was a long-winded answer. The next question I received was why I deserve to recover even though I'm in a bigger body. I mentioned this earlier. I will mention this again. Eating disorders do not have a look. Anyone can struggle with an eating disorder in any size body. One thing I want to mention, it is much easier to recover in a smaller body or, you know, a smaller body according to society than it is in a larger body. When you are recovering from an eating disorder in a larger body, you are still receiving so much of that fat phobic narrative 
the weight stigmatizing language, whether it's from family, friends, healthcare, insurance companies, doctors. You never know what somebody's going through, regardless of somebody's body size. Everybody deserves to recover. And I want you to think about the atypical anorexia. You do not have to be thin to have an eating disorder. And unfortunately, so many people go unnoticed by their doctors who are struggling with an eating disorder. So many of my clients have been prescribed their eating disorders by their doctor because they reside in a larger body. Everybody deserves to recover. Does not matter the size body that they're in. The next question I received is, what are some of the missed signs for eating disorders? And boy, are there many. One of the biggest ones that comes up for me a lot is the fact that disordered eating is so normalized in our society. When I was dealing with my disordered eating slash eating disorder, I was never actually fully diagnosed with one, but definitely met the most of the criteria. I developed this identity of the health nut. Oh my God, Brittany, you are so amazing. You have so much willpower. How do you do it? What are you doing? Well, I had disordered eating. I had, I had an eating disorder, but people were so taken with me and I developed this identity of, you know, somebody who had so much willpower when really it was debilitating. It took over everything. It controlled me. So the missed sign is the fact that a lot of people are dealing with disordered eating, but because our society and our culture normalizes it, it's normal. Oh, it's normal to intermittent fast and not eat for 15 hours at a time. It's normal to skip an entire day of food. Oh my God, you skipped food? Good for you, right? That's what we hear. How, how great are you? Great willpower. And we hear this from friends, family, doctors, you know, celebrity culture. So that's the biggest miss sign is that there are many more people who are struggling, but they're being applauded for their disordered eating. Other miss signs could be a loss of a period when someone's on birth control, you know, it's, it's, and you're taking a pill that is basically not giving you a period. You could be going without a period for a long time. That's another miss sign. Over-exercising for mental health, but really it has this, you know, something going on underneath the surface of, well, I just want to burn calories or I just want to burn off last night's meal. Restricting and binging. The idea of a cheat day is basically a planned binge. How many people do you know say, oh my God, I'm having a cheat day. I'm having, you know, pizza, McDonald's and cake and cupcakes. They are planning a binge because they've been restricting or even during the week when somebody eats as little as possible and then they kind of go off the walls on the weekends. These are all signs that we're missing because they are so normalized. Finally, the last question is, you know, developing an eating disorder later in life. And this person specifically asked in their 30s. So the, the answer is yes. Like you can absolutely develop an eating disorder at any age. I have found that when somebody has kind of kicked off this new lifestyle journey, they might fall into eating disorder patterns. So this person could, um, you know, start eating healthy. Maybe it's 
doing a lower carb, more fiber, all of a sudden they find themselves with like severe disordered eating or an eating disorder. And so regardless of the age, whether you're 12, 25, 35, 65, when I was doing my clinical rotations, there was a 75-year-old in our inpatient unit for an eating disorder. It does not discriminate. It can happen to any age, any person, any gender. So it does not have one face. And I think it's so important to really discuss how left out so many of the marginalized identities are when it comes to eating disorder work. Um, Whether it's like women of color or men, it can affect everyone. So that's it for today. You know, it, it is heavy stuff. And most often, you know, somebody with an eating disorder, disordered eating, or you yourself might be struggling. And so this might be your way to get help, right? You're listening to me. What do I do next? The next step, whether you are thinking about food too much, or you find yourself in an eating disorder to seek out help. And, you know, Lauren and I, we love this work because we love helping folks like yourself. I can speak for myself um, and I would love to support you. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I feel stuck, I don't know what to do next, but I know that my relationship with food is not helping me. It's not helping me leave this whole life, this ability to be yourself and eat in a way that's nourishing, but also joyful and travel and enjoy food, reach out to me. And my information is in the show notes because I would love to support you. I have been in your shoes. I get it. And I work with so many clients who also get it and who are also in your shoes. So regardless of whether or not you think you deserve support, Everyone deserves support, whether or not you have an eating disorder, whether or not you have full-blown disordered eating, every single person deserves support. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's my first solo episode and I actually really loved it. So maybe, you know, we'll do another one sometime soon, but I thank you so much for taking the time and I hope to chat with you all soon. Oh, and where you can find me. Again, No Food Fears, Instagram, TikTok, my website, www.brittanymodelrd.com also will be in the show notes. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.